0: If you have your Bibles tonight, if you'll open it, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter number 17, I want to talk to you tonight about how God brings water out of the dry places of our lives. And the reason I want to talk about this tonight is because sometimes in life, we go through dry places. Our joy seems to evaporate. Our peace seems to disappear. Sometimes we feel like our hope is completely gone. And from a spiritual and an emotional perspective, we are in a dry place. We're not necessarily thirsty spiritually, but we're nonetheless thirsty spiritually and emotionally. Now, in Exodus chapter 17, we read about how the children of Israel have come out of Egyptian bondage. They are in the wilderness. They are on their way to the promised land, following God exactly as God is leading. And as they're making this trip, they come to a dry place. And I think there are some lessons that we can learn in our lives about what to do when we come to a dry place in our lives. So in Exodus chapter 17, look with me beginning in verse number one, and let's just read the first seven verses of this chapter. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, "'Give us water that we may drink.' So Moses said to them, "'Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord?' And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Literally, he was saying, These people are ready to stone me to death because they don't have any water out here to drink. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so these two names, Massa and Meribah, have significant meaning. One means tempted, and one means contention. In other words, it was at this place out there in the wilderness, in the desert, where they had no water, and they begin to complain. And they begin to say, Moses, if you were a good leader, if you were really following God, if you were in step with God, listening to God, you never... Would have brought us here because we're about to die of thirst out here in the middle of this desert. They complained against Moses, really, they were complaining against God, and the whole situation happens just as we read it. But I want to make three statements tonight some lessons, some truths that we can learn from this experience in Exodus 17 about how the children of Israel came to this dry place and how God gave them water out of that rock. And the first thing I would say is this even God's people go through dry places in life. It doesn't matter how much you love God or how long you've been saved or how much of the Bible you've memorized or how long you pray every day. The best of God's people sometimes go through uh, dry places in their lives. Now, when I say dry places, I want to tap back into what I said at the beginning. I'm talking about spiritually dry places. I'm talking about seasons of life where you just say, it just seems like everything's dried up. My quiet time's dry, my prayer life's dry, church seems dry, the worship seems dry, the preaching seems dry, I seem dry, everything seems dry, and I just have lost my joy and peace and excitement and enthusiasm, and what in the world's happened to me? Well, more than likely, you're just experiencing what everybody experiences from time to time. Keep in mind, these people who came to this dry place were God's children, and just a few chapters earlier, they had been redeemed. They had come out of Egypt. The blood of the lamb had been placed on the doorpost of their house. God had miraculously delivered them from Egyptian bondage. So if anybody would belong to God, these people belong to God. And yet, here they are in the middle of the wilderness, and they are going through a dry place. I wrote this in my notes. I think it's a good way to say it. The best Christian you know is not immune from feelings of loneliness, joylessness, hopelessness, depression, stress anxiety, and all the rest that everybody else feels. The best Christian you know, whoever you hold up there as the pop shelf Christian, I'm telling you that man or that lady is not immune from these feelings and from going through dry places in life. So let's just think about that. What am I saying? Every Christian, every child of God, even the best of them, go through dry seasons in life. Now I want you to notice a couple of things. First, notice that God is the one who sometimes leads us to the dry places. Now, I don't want to blame every, I'm not blaming anything, certainly never blame anything on God, but I don't want to say that every time we go through a dry place that it's because God led us to it. Sometimes we go through a dry place because of our own sin, and it's, we're just reaping what we have sown, so I would concede that. But it's also true that sometimes God is the one who leads us to the dry places. Look back again in verse number one. That's exactly what happened to these Israelites. It says, all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. Now, watch this next phrase, according to the commandment of the Lord. And so, they got where they were because God had led them there. They were at a dry place. They were in the desert, and they couldn't find any water. How do we get here? God led them there. And that says to me, sometimes in our lives, we get to a dry season or to a dry place in the middle of the desert where it feels like everything is drying up, and we're trying to figure out, God, if I sinned? Have I brought this on myself? And if God has convicted us for that, so be it. We repent and we accept responsibility. But if it's not a mess of our own doing, we have to say, you know what? I'm here because God has led me here. God has brought me here. God has allowed me to face the circumstances that I'm facing. What you know, and what I know is this many times in life, when we find ourselves in a dry place, it's because of the circumstances that are going on in our lives, and they can overwhelm us and they can weight us down, and we think, God, how in the world? Well, remember this. God is a sovereign God, and he is the one who's always leading us. And at least in this instance, they got to the dry place because God led them there. It's kind of like in the New Testament, and we've talked about this before, but we read in Matthew chapter 14 that the disciples of Jesus got on the Sea of Galilee out there in their little boat, and a bad storm blew in in the middle of the night. And that boat was just being tossed and turned. And they thought for sure they were going to drown out there. But it's interesting in that same passage, we read that the reason they got in the boat was because Jesus made them get in the boat. Jesus told them, get in the boat and go across the sea. So, here's this... The the disciples being obedient to Jesus, doing exactly what he had told them to do, and as a result of their obedience, they ended up in a storm. Listen to me, friend. The storm you're in tonight, the dry place that you're going through tonight, you say, how in the world could I have gotten in this mess? I must be out of God's will. Let me tell you this. The storm you're going through or the dry place you're in, you may be there because you're right in the middle of God's will. Now, Jonah was the opposite. He got out of God's will and he got in a storm, but the disciples were in God's will. And here, the children of Israel, they were in God's will according to the commandment of the Lord, doing exactly what God told them to do. And as a result of that, what happened to them? They got into a dry place. So sometimes God leads us to the dry place. Another thing I would say is this. In the dry places of life, our response reveals our character. You see, the reason God didn't just lead them there so they would be thirsty. God led them there to test them. And God didn't lead them there so he could find out what was in their heart. God led them there so they would know what was in their heart. God already knows what's in all of our heart. And yet, sometimes God has to orchestrate the circumstances of our lives in such a way so that we can discover what's in our own heart. We can discover our own sinfulness, our own own deficiencies, the areas in our lives where we need to grow. And so, this whole thing was a test. Now, did they recognize it as a test? No, they did not. They just recognized, they just thought, well, Moses is a bad leader. God doesn't care about us, and that's how we got in this mess. And yet, God was testing his people, and they failed the test. They failed the test by complaining and not trusting God instead of just saying, well, you know, God's going to take care of us. Look again in verse 2. Notice what it says. Therefore, the people contended with Moses. That is, they complained. They they, they. They were griping against Moses. Look in verse number three. And the people thirsted there for water. Now, here it is again. And the people complained against Moses. And again, at the end of verse four, Moses is talking to God. He said, they're almost ready to stone me, God. They're ready to kill me. That's how angry they were. And so they had a test going on, and they failed the test. Because instead of responding to that test in faith, with with integrity, with conviction that God had led them and that God would provide for them, they begin to complain and they begin to grumble and they completely fail the test. But before I get off this first truth tonight, I want to say it again. Even God's people go through dry places, and many times we get there because God has led us there. And not only that, it is our response that reveals our character. What did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we're complaining and griping and everything's wrong and God doesn't care and this person's no good and all this, all in the world that's doing is revealing what's in our heart. And it's good that it's revealing what's in our heart. Because sometimes we have to hear ourselves talk to know what's in our heart. And so that's what God is doing. He's revealing the people's character to themselves so they would know their own problem. Now, a second lesson or a truth that I think we can learn from this, and I think if I were here tonight, if you're here tonight and you're in a dry place, you say, man, John, here we've come through Thanksgiving and Christmas and it's a new year and everybody seems so excited about the new year. And uh, the Texans are on their way to the Super Bowl, and everybody in town is happy. And except I just don't seem to have any joy. What is my problem? Well, either you're a Cowboys fan or you're a human because uh, you're just going through a dry place like the rest of us do sometimes. So I guess what I, I, this is not one of the points tonight, but I think the first thing I would say to you, if we were just sitting down talking about this, you said, say, John, something's wrong. I just have lost, everything. I've lost my joy, lost my excitement. You know the first thing I would say to you? You're more normal than you think. You're not the only person who feels that way. Virtually everybody at one time in their life has felt that way, and if we live long enough, we'll probably all feel that way again. It's just part of the human experience. So let me tell you something that you can do now that will help you when you feel that way. By the way, before I get into points two and three, if you ever in your life go through a dry season, say amen so I'll know. Okay, now if nobody would have amended, I would have dismissed it because it wouldn't have fit. But since you all amended, I'm going to tell you some things you can do that will help you. Here it is. When you're in a dry place, remember other dry places in your life, other dry seasons that you've been through, and how God refreshed you back then. Now, when it comes to the past, we have to be very careful because the Apostle Paul said in Philippians verse 3, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me. So in our past, we have to be careful when we visit the past. If it's sin that we have committed and we've repented of and been forgiven of, we don't need to revisit that part of our past, because all that's going to do is cause us to feel guilty and regretful, and it's just that's not healthy. God has forgiven it, and God has washed it away, and so we have to let the past be the past. If in your past, when you look back to the past, if that makes you think about, maybe you grew up in a home where your parents weren't good parents or your dad wasn't there for you, or your mother didn't seem to care about you, or something, maybe one of your parents left the family, or something happened and you felt abandoned in your childhood, or maybe you grew up in, in, in your adult years and somebody treated you bad, or they did you wrong, or they hurt you in some way. Well, I believe when Paul said, forgetting those things which in the past, he's including that. It's not only our sins, it's other people who've sinned against us. It's other people who might have hurt us. I think the Bible, I think God would say, clearly God would say to us, you can't go forward in life if you're continuing to revisit all the hurts and offenses and things people have done in the past that have hurt. you got to let that go. Just like we have to accept God's forgiveness for our past sins and failures, we have to extend forgiveness to others who have sinned against us and put, that, put their sins under the umbrella of forgiveness, our forgiveness of them. Just like our sins are under the canopy of God's forgiveness, they're under the blood of Christ, we have to put other people's sins under our forgiveness and just say, I'm not going to bring that up. I'm not going to allow that experience... To continue to have a bitter effect on my life, to take some to take root in me, I will let the past be the past. So when the Bible says forgetting those things which are behind, that's what it's talking about. But there are other things in our past that we don't need to forget. There are some things in our past that we need to remember. Why do you think it says so many times in the Bible? Why, Why do you think it uses that word remember? Remember the Lord your God. And in the Psalms, the psalmist is talking about God, but I will remember all the things you've done for me. I'll remember all your blessings. I'll remember all your provisions. I'll remember all your goodness. So the part of the past that we do need to revisit and we do need to be mindful of is the past... Time are the past times in our lives when God has met our needs, when God has provided for us, when God has answered our prayer, when God made a way when there seemed to be no way. That's the part of the past that we're to remember. Now think about these Israelites. You talk about some things that they could have remembered. Here they are in the desert, there's no water. They think they're gonna die of thirst. Well, we would have all been anxious about that. You gotta have water to live. That's just normal and human. But what should those Israelites have done? Well, somebody should have said, now, wait a second. Not long ago, God delivered us out of over 400 years of Egyptian bondage. Our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, they lived under that Dictator Pharaoh, and they were abused and mistreated and overworked and underpaid, and it was horrible. What and it it happened to us too. We weren't living in that world. And supernaturally, God came and God told Moses to tell us to take a lamb and sacrifice that lamb and put the blood of that lamb across the top beam of our house and on those two uh, vertical beams. And when the death angel pass over, if he sees the blood, he will not kill the firstborn, and he's going to deliver us out. And not only did God deliver us out of Egyptian bondage, but we read about this in Exodus chapter 12. They should have, somebody should have been saying, when God delivered us out, the Egyptians were giving us their jewelry. They were giving us their treasures. God not only delivered us, he delivered us and he blessed us. Those who had persecuted us and abused us, now they're giving their belongings to us. God's paying it back. God, made, God gave us double for all of our trouble. Somebody should have said that. Somebody should have said, well, you know what? That's right. And not only did God deliver us out of Egyptian bondage, but you remember, and we read about this in Exodus chapter 15, now they didn't have chapter divisions back then, they weren't reading Exodus, they were living the Exodus. But if they would have been reading it, they could have said, now wait a second, we're here in chapter 17 and there's no water here in the desert, but do you remember back in chapter 15 when we had water, but the water was bitter and we couldn't drink it? And it would have made us sick, or it might have killed us. And so Moses threw a tree, a piece of wood of some kind in that water, and all of a sudden the bitter waters made, were made sweet. And somebody should have said, you know what? If God can supernaturally make the bitter waters sweet, then somehow, some way, He can provide water for us. And if somebody would have said that, I believe somebody else would have spoken to them and said, you know, that's so true. But not only did God make the bitter water sweet, here we are in Exodus 17, desert, no water at all. But do you remember back in Exodus 16, what, we, what our need was? We were about to starve to death. We needed food, and we prayed that God would give us food. And supernaturally, miraculously, God sent manna from heaven. We didn't know what it was. That's why we called it manna, because the word manna literally means, what is it? But it was like a a sweet wafer from heaven, and God sent them that manna to eat, and God gave them quail to eat. I mean, bread in the morning, and and then they had uh, quail at night. I mean, they had a pretty good thing going there. Somebody should have said, hey, I know we don't have any water, but God gave us food. If God gave us food, I bet somehow, some way, he'll give us water. So what they should have done was to have looked back on their past blessings and to have said, if God came through for us then, I'll guarantee you God's going to come through for us now. There's not one of us here tonight who can't look back in the past many times. I don't mean just one time. Many times and see where we had a need that we thought there's no way in the world God's going to be able to meet this need. And what did God do? God met that need. We, had, uh, we were in a dry season and we had lost our joy and we just didn't seem to have any excitement about God, life, the church, or anything else. And what did God do? God somehow reached down and God relit that fire and rekindled that flame and gave us a new enthusiasm. See, we should be able to look back on life and say, God has done it before. And since God has done it before, I believe that God will do it again. So we have to remember those other dry places, those other dry seasons that God has sent us through in life. Some of these th- times in your life, in my life, I look back on things that God has done for me and needs he's met in my life. And I think, God, if you did it then, you haven't changed. If you gave me bread to eat in chapter 16, you're going to give me water to drink in chapter 17. You're not going to give me bread to eat that giving me water to wash it down, right? And so that's how it is in your life. So what I'm saying to you tonight, if you're in a dry place, and I don't know if you are or not, but if you are in a dry place tonight, I bet I I could guarantee you this. It's not the first dry place you've been in. It's not the first dry season you've had. (laughs) It's not. You've had other times in your life, and you thought, what's going to happen? Well, look back at it and ask yourself, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. God met your need. God saw you through. God made a way when there seemed to be no way. And the same God who did it back then will do it again if you'll just trust him. Amen? Third thing I would say tonight is this. This is interesting. Now, I want you to think about this. God often refreshes our souls in the most unlikely of ways. God often refreshes our souls in the most unlikely of ways. Now, I don't, you know, I don't think God ever wants us to put him in a box and say, God, you got to do exactly what you've done in the past. Or God, in order for me to be okay, you've got to do what I think needs to be done. Don't you ever put God in? There's not a box big enough for God to fit in. And so the wise thing to say is, God, here I am, here's the situation. God, I'm 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 renewing my faith in you. God, I know you're gonna come through. And what I'm telling you tonight is if you'll do that, 95% of your problem's done. Because now you're back good. Now that faith's gonna produce joy and peace and confidence and courage and enthusiasm and excitement. Faith always leads to other good things happening in your heart, whereas doubt, unbelief, you know, where's God <laughs> complaining? Well, that's just a snowball going the wrong way. You want to do it the other way and say, God, I trust you. Well, okay, now you're back in faith. 95% of your problem is gone. You say, yeah, but I still need water. I may be encouraged, but I still have this need. All right, how's God going to meet that need? Well, listen to what I just said. God often refreshes our souls in the most unlikely of ways. Now, look back again at this, and in verse number 5, this is a strange thing that happened here. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, that is the Nile River back in Egypt when he turned it to blood, and go. And go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he did that, of course. Water came out of the rock. Now, isn't that a strange thing? If I were in the desert, thirsty, can't find any body of water, I think maybe I would have said, God, would you please make it rain? I mean, that would seem to be the most logical way to get water. God, please make it rain. And if I looked up and I still, after a few hours I still didn't see any clouds, I'd say, well, maybe God's not going to make it rain. God, could you lead me to a lake or a stream or a creek or lead me to some body of water so I can drink the water that way? If I walk on for a while and I didn't find it, i say, Well, God, it's not raining and I don't find a lake. God, but somehow I need water. See, we would think that God would have provided for that need with rain or with a lake. What God do? God provided for that need by causing water to come out of a rock, the most unlikely of places. Who has ever heard of water coming out of a rock? Nobody's ever heard of that because it never has happened like this before. But what God said was, God said, I'm going to meet my people's needs, but I'm going to show them that they shouldn't always expect me to meet their needs in the way they think I should meet their needs. Or they shouldn't always expect me to meet their needs the way I've met their needs in the past. In the past, I sent rain. In the past, I may have led them to a lake, but not this time. This time, I'm gonna take the driest part of the desert, a rock, and from that rock, I'm gonna cause water to come out. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 4. Paul is looking back on Exodus chapter 17, and Paul says, they all drank from the same spiritual rock. Now, listen to this, and that rock is Christ. What was Moses saying? Moses knew this story. I mean, Paul. Paul knew this story, and Paul was saying that rock that our great, great, great grandparents drank from out there in the wilderness, that rock is a picture of Jesus. Jesus is that rock. And the reason God sent water out of that rock was to send a lesson that there's coming a rock to this earth one day. And out of that rock, out of Jesus, will come the water and the refreshment and the nourishment we need. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message and many others on our website peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.